This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good afternoon and welcome to the first show in season five of Your Radio Doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. This week, our topic is the value of sports in the community. Each week, we share the story of Your Real Champion. And this week, Your Real Champion is Connor Barwin. We call him a man for others. As a former outside linebacker in the NFL, his pro career included time with the Houston Texans, the LA Rams, the New York Giants, but our favorite part of his timeline was his four seasons that he spent as a Philadelphia Eagle. Correction, Eagle. Now he works as the Eagles Director of Player Development, and we're very fortunate to have him as our guest to talk about his remarkable project called Make the World Better redeveloping public spaces that provide safe outlets for sports, recreation, art-based activities, and connecting people and helping communities prosper. Welcome, Connor. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me on. Happy to be here. Well, Connor, let's start by asking you to explain the broader mission of MTWB, Make the World Better. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, so so MTWB stands for Make the World Better. It's also an acronym for my parents' initials, Margaret Thomas William Barwin. Um, and they had a huge influence on me growing up uh, with sort of being connected, involved in the community, and then also, you know, playing sports. And sports has sort of done a lot for me in my life and taught me a lot. Um, and so at MTWB, we, we, we bring that all together and we try to work directly with communities um, to redesign and then, and then rebuild their public spaces. Uh, and ultimately, we believe you know sport is, is good for kids, but we believe sport is really good for entire communities. And public spaces are really critical. Um, and public spaces in many cities are underfunded. Um, and when you do it right, when you work with the community, you get to know them, you build trust, you can design a, a space that can be there for the long term, that communities take care of, uh, but most importantly, brings a community together. It makes a neighborhood and community stronger. 
Um, and so at MTWB, that's what we, we try to do. Uh, it's a process where we've been doing it for almost 10 years now, and we are currently on our fourth uh, project, which is the Vare Recreation Center uh, in Grays Ferry, Southwest Philadelphia. And you explained the timeline so beautifully. As you were growing up, your dad was a city manager. You grew up right outside of Detroit, and your mom and dad were always uh, active in the community. They met, uh, as I think you mentioned, when they were working on political campaigns. Your dad was a city manager. So when you were a little boy, third grade, you joined in the city a community center basketball team and played till you were 16. And you said that was a transformational um, influence in your life, yes? A hundred percent. And first, I mean, my, again, my parents met uh, on, on political campaigns. My dad was, a, 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 for a brief time, a city man, a, a, a police officer, and then a city manager, oh, which for people that don't know, it's just a, another form of local government. Instead of sort of an elected mayor, he's a hired sort of mayor by the elected council. Um, but my whole life was, was dinners talking about you know, community planning and, and why, you know, you have to listen to all of the stakeholders and what this park meant to this neighborhood and what this apartment building meant to this neighborhood and how it's all, you know, interconnected uh, and all important. And then uh, I went to school, I grew up in, 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 in a nine mile, people I know are familiar with sort of eight mile being the, the northern border of Detroit, but I went to school inside the city. Uh, and then my parents, it's a longer story, but I ended up playing uh, basketball, uh, right about third, fourth grade for an after school program, really sort of in the heart of the inner city. Um, and it was transformational for me, you know, not at the time, but as I got older and sort of looked back on, you know, where I grew up, how I grew up, what sports meant to me. And then just, you know, literally a mile and a half away, sort of how kids were growing up. Uh, and what the facilities were like and what they had. Um, but the way that sports uh, and really just incredible people uh, can make a difference in a kid's life. Uh, and so when I got in the NFL, especially when I got to Philly uh, and had resources and made connections, I started MTWB and decided that, you know, working with people in communities and our staff, we wanted to try to do good and create more safe uh, public spaces for kids and families to go to uh, and sort of connect and play sports and be active and be healthy. And as you say, community centers bring uh, kids of all backgrounds together. Um, but you saw some, you know, fellow basketball players who probably weren't so sure that have enough food and a, and a bed and as the housing that, um, that they needed. And then you went to uh, from seventh grade to 12th grade at a Catholic boys school called the University of Detroit Jesuit High School and Academy. And the big mantra of the Jesuit ideal is to be a man for others. So you had this beautiful influence of your family and that man for others um, stuck with you and you continued to play basketball. Of course, you were a superstar football player in high school and you played, made time to play basketball. You get to Cincinnati um, and because there were team uh members of the basketball team that were injured, you jumped in and helped them with basketball. College, to do two college sports is near impossible. But I had to stop for a moment to say, when you played basketball, you scored against Villanova. Booyah, Wildcats. As a fellow Jesuit, I'm at you know, St. Joe University, I always cheer for Villanova unless they're playing my alma mater. I had to get that in there. But two things stand out in your story. 
your co-founder is your mother. I started crying when I read that. Oh my gosh, how <laughs> awesome is that? And a little back, I mean, you know, we talk about a champion every week, people who do really good things in the community, but what motivates you? What's the story behind this giving heart? You were born deaf and it wasn't really detected to you about two. And right ear comes back with surgery, a lot of treatment as a little boy, left ear, there's some there, but your dear mother and father had the wisdom to treat son number four of four, the baby, like the other guys. It's not going to, it's not going to hold you back, Connor. And it surely did not. And I think that's a beautiful part of your story and a big tribute to your mom and dad, MTWB. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, my, my, my I'm so lucky, uh, you know, the family that I have. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, my mom is so tough, so strong. I mean, my pe- people that know my mom know, um, you know, she grew up, you know, she went through her own adversity. She raised four boys. She had four boys in five years. Um, and I mean, just the, the love and support that we had from her and the way she taught me and my brothers to treat people and, and try and, you know, help people and be there and be supportive and care. I mean, you talked about the Jesuits, you know, I learned a lot going to Jesuit schools and sort of being about service and helping people, but it started with my mom. I mean, it started with my yes. mom. It was, she always sort of sacrificed for everybody other than herself. Uh, and, you know, I'm so grateful for that. And she's, she's been, inc- I mean, we literally, it was me and her starting MTWB. I mean, trying to file the, the, the I you know, believe it. I'm a five old. Yeah. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, and what people have to understand, Connor, not to interrupt you, but it's your first year in Philly. Okay, you had played a few years already, but you're a little baby. How old were you, like 27? And you're trying to just keep up with the grueling workouts and schedule and travel. And you said, okay, while I'm at it, I'm going to start a foundation and rebuild parks. How did you pick your first park? Well, well and I'll just, I'll just backtrack. Like, I wasn't quite a baby. I was, I was maybe twenty five. So I was, I was sort of. Growing All right. Up. Well, but she, but, <laughs> but it's, a, but it's a lot. And and she did a the lot work with me. And she, you know, we've, I'm, I'm proud of the success that we've had. I mean, we've invested over thirty million dollars in public parks in Philadelphia, and she has been a driver of that. And she's sort of helped me with strategic decisions. She's guided sort of the. The, the heart of the organization, which is making sure we don't do any project unless we do it the right way, which is doing it for and with and by the community and the people that live in that neighborhood. And she's never let us veer away from that, which is critical. Um, so I'm and you mentioned, uh, sorry, but working with others that you sit down with the people in that neighborhood, every neighborhood is different. Everybody's needs are different and people are going to be more committed to support it and use it and, and nurture it. If they have a seat at the table making the plans, yes. Well, that's that's exactly that's the most important thing we do, and we've never um, shied away from strayed. Yeah, we've never mm-hmm. strayed away from that. It, and listen, people do. It's hard because it takes time, and there's a lot of opinions, and it's about problem solving and figuring out, you know, how to make it, you know how to make it work. It's a puzzle, mm-hmm. um, but we've been committed to it, uh, and that and that. My mom. So you started with the Ralph Brooks Park. That's a story in itself. And that um, you saw this dilapidated park when you're riding your bike from your home to practice. And then you did the Smith Playground in West Pashyunk, uh, Waterloo play- Playground in Kensington, and then most recently in the Grace uh, Ferry area, the Vare Recreation Center. 
Tell us about that bike ride that made that turned the light bulb on. Yeah, so so I knew, you know, I got to Philly. Um, so I knew I wanted to do something with parks, with sports, with youth. Um, and as soon as I got there that summer, I would ride my bike from my apartment in Center City to Novacare Center in South Philly. Um, and I would ride up and down. I don't know which way they go. Maybe 18th Street goes south and 20th goes north one or the other way around um and i would ride by ralph brooks park at 20th and tasker every day and it's like an old parking lot with a tot lot two wooden backboards huge potholes but there were always kids playing in the mm-hmm. playground you know and you just drive by and you're like man that is messed up they don't even have the, the backboards aren't even up straight you know, but there's always a critical mass of kids out there. And so I was like, this is where I think we can start. And I thought, you know, being naive and not knowing, I was like, maybe, you know, I can put in, I don't know, $75,000, $100,000, and we'll repave the court. And that'll be great. Um, well, thanks to my mom and the influence of my parents, they were like, you can do that, but that's not the right way to do it. Just sort of helicopter in and come out. And so ultimately, made phone calls got in touch with, with people that live in the community, got in touch with leaders, got in touch with the local council person, um, got in touch with Philadelphia Parks and Rec. And sort of we all came together, and together we made, you know, almost a million-dollar investment in that project uh, and did new courts, did green stormwater infrastructure, did a new playground, did uh, community gardens, um, and really, you know, did a much bigger, bigger project with a lot of people involved and sort of that. Then we went on to Smith, as you mentioned, which was a massive site, $3 million project. And then we went to, we got out of North Philly and went up to uh, North Philly and, and West Kensington and did Waterloo Playground, a couple million dollar project. And now we're doing, you know, a $20 million project at Bear Rec Center uh, in Southwest but, Philly. But people need to know you don't just helicopter in and wave a wand and leave. You're, you've also put a heck of a lot of your own money into it. And those first projects, you were putting up half the money. And I would love for people to hear, we have a few minutes left, to hear about the concerts that you've done to raise money. That is just brilliant. Music brings people together. I know that's why you love music, just like the parks bring people well, together. Well, that's it. So so the business model at MTWB and doing these parks is, is really sort of grounded in my love of sports and bringing people together and my love of music and the way it brings people together and just brings, you know, joy to people. And so what we did right from the beginning was we'd have a benefit concert, the money raised from the benefit concert, uh, I would match personally. And then that was our sort of seed money to fund one of these capital projects. Cause as I've said, these projects, you know, are a million dollars to $20 million. And so we've had, you know, eight incredible concerts uh, that raised a ton of money that continue to be seed money for these projects. And, uh, and it's a way also to bring more people in, into the project. And, you know, some people that don't live in these neighborhoods, well, they still want to support growth and development uh, in, in neighborhoods that don't have it. And so by supporting our shows, it's, it's a small way, but uh, to support these projects. It's, it's a wonderful way because you did uh Union transfer that donated everything, and then you have it at the Dell, and each year you make more money. Uh, and then can't forget you produced a Philly special Christmas album that the first year raised one point two five million dollars. And what's so cool, you let all again. You're such a sharer. Everybody involved, you said, uh, 
25, 30 people helped, we're going to give to each of your favorite organizations. And then the second year, over 4 million, and you gave to 75 to 80 organizations. You take the piece of bread and cut it into as many pieces as there are people who need it. I just, it's so beautiful on so many levels. I got to meet your mother. <laughs> you should meet her. She's a saint. But I, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I'm very lucky to have her and my father. But the Christmas record is a great example. I'm so proud of, you know, what we were able to do. It's so good. But I, we didn't know how, we, we didn't, we raised way more money than we ever anticipated. And me and Charlie Hall, who helped produce it, we sat back and we're like, well, what are we going to, what are we going to do with all this money we raised? And I, I was so happy we decided the best thing to do was let everybody that was involved in making the record pick who they wanted to donate to. And sort of it took this sort of a small team project, and, and now it's sort of affecting all kinds of people all over Philadelphia. And, and you know, like you said, it's over 70 organizations um, that now we've been able to support in a, a variety of, of causes um, and we all know there's so many things that need support. So uh, just really proud of the group of us that came together to, to make it happen. Hunter, if people want to get involved either as a volunteer or give their time, talent, or treasure to make the world better, uh, I know your website is mtwb.org, maketheworldbetter.org, and people can send money. Can people volunteer? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people can, you can definitely send money if you want. I mean, that's not really what people uh -huh. do, but you know, just follow us, follow, email us if you want to get involved. I mean, follow us on social media. We have updates. We have some volunteer uh, events that we have. I mean, we have our concert. We have the Christmas record. We have different stuff we're doing, you know, definitely follow our newsletter. That's the probably the most, the best way to sort of stay informed. But um, yeah, I mean, any, any, just pay attention to what we're doing and get involved wherever you see an opportunity. Connor Barwin. You are kind and generous beyond measure, a real role model for, for children, but for people of all ages, because your parks also, with the um, gardens, they invite people to socialize. It's so healthy after COVID, even forget COVID, bringing a community together, making a safe place for everybody involved. God bless you. Say hi to your mama. Thank you for having me. And, and I'll say that that's one thing you touched on that, that is, is really, really important. You know, I played football and basketball. You know, not every park is about a football and a basketball court. Right. We 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 do. If you design a park with the people that use it, then you're going to find out you design a park that has something for everyone. You know, and and, and that's really what we try to do. And you really want to design a place that there's something for young kids, for older kids, for teenagers, for young adults, the elderly, people, older age people. I mean, if yeah. you, that's when you you build something really special. And that's what we're trying to do at MTW because that connectivity uh, is sort of like, I like to say, where the joy and the magic happen. Absolutely right. Thank you, Connor Barwin. Go Eagles. Go and make the world better. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. 
This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com, info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer, get screened. Welcome back to your radio doctor. As we continue our discussion on the role of sports in the community, we are thrilled to have the return of our friend, Dr. Joel Fish, a nationally renowned sports psychologist, a licensed psychologist, and the director of the Center for Sports Psychology in Philadelphia. He's worked with athletes of all ages and all skill levels from youth sports through Olympic level and professional ranks. And Dr. Fish has also been a consultant for the Philadelphia Sixers, the Flyers, the Phillies, the U.S. Women's National Field Hockey Team, and the National Soccer Team. And he's given over 300 lectures as an NCAA speaker and advised Penn and Temple. And of course, my alma mater, Hawk Hill, SJU, St. Joe's. Welcome, Joel. It's great to be back, man. So, Joel, how would we package the idea of the value of sports for the community? It, it has so many positives. The value of sport for the community is it unites people, unlike any other civic activity, particularly in Philadelphia, but you could take this to any national community. Sports, more than anything else in terms of a civic activity, brings older people, younger people, city people, suburban people, rural people, black, white, brown, together because they have something in common. And whenever you have something in common that becomes part of your identity, it tends to bond people together. And sports plays that role in in our communities. Because it does foster that sense of belonging. If everybody, you know, walking down the street has a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or their dog or their toddler has a little shirt that says Eagles or Sixers or Flyers, it feels good because, as you say, all those barriers drop. There's a sense of belonging People then start casual conversations while they wait for the bus or they're at the supermarket. Uh, and the teamwork, that whole feeling of belonging, that's why there are clubs or neighborhoods or whatever bring us together. But as you say, sports seem to be the biggest unifier. I thought it was kind of interesting that you said. It's a unifier. And and even though there's different kinds of fans, we know, and this could be high school fans, this could be youth sport fans college, professional, you've got those hardcore fans that are going to watch every game, every Eagles game from beginning, middle, end. You've got the fan who's going to watch most of or listen to most of the games. You've got the casual fan who might watch or listen to parts of three or four games. And then you've got the bandwagon fan. When the team's in the playoffs or for a big game, all of a sudden they get involved too. No matter what level of fan you are, you can be walking down the street and have something in common with that person to talk about, particularly when there's a big yeah. game coming up or that evening. Uh, it's a nice feeling to feel connected to people. It, it's an icebreaker. It breaks barriers, if you will. In terms of our identity, it's something that we have in common. And those are all traits to bring us closer to people. And in a culture and a society where we're divided in many ways, uh, it's wonderful to have something that brings us together. Well, plus, you know, even at the water cooler, if there are many water coolers or, or if many people are in offices these days, that was a good place for icebreakers, too, because work, depending on what level you are, 
your colleagues are not all, you know, there has to be a boss and then a sub manager. And then the, that has to bring people together and make the workplace more efficient, more effective and friendlier. Yes. Yes. And, and it allows us to communicate in a way that is meaningful, but most people still understand is entertainment. So in other words, you and I may have a different opinion about who the starting quarterback should be or something about our team. And we can differ on that. That's different than if we differ about politics, religion. I, I think conversation and communication has tended to become much more polarized and emotional. Sports still remains a somewhat safe environment to have these conversations, whether I agree with you or not. And anything that fosters communication at the water cooler, walking down the street, around the kitchen table, it is really, really meaningful. And the beauty of sport yeah. is that you can have three, four generations of people having a conversation. Yeah. You take, again, Philadelphia, where you've got grandparents who can talk to their children, to their grandchildren about the upcoming game. And in a society where oftentimes, you know, what it means to be raised today with social media and technology is very different oh. from a grandparent's generation. Here's something we can all talk about together. And that's the other healthy part of what sport can do for us in terms of community, family, communication, making us feel part of something. Well, we were grateful to have you as our guest. Uh, I guess it was a couple months ago now when we talked about the value of sports um, with children, especially because that it helps them prepare for adulthood. They learn life lessons. They learn life skills, being disciplined, being on time for practice, learning how to lose, uh, you know, well, be a good loser and be a humble winner, all those good things. But beyond competition, Sports really have the potential to drive social change, true, uh, and, and make an impact on communities. How do you look at it that way? I, I, I believe so, because if you look at the role of athletes in our culture now, they are high profile. They have a platform with social media. They are often our heroes. I saw a study recently. This was for high school boys. It said, if you had to pick three heroes, who would they be? And this was a national trend is sometimes trends are regional it might be to the city of philadelphia but this we could be having this conversation in montana and florida whatever when they were sure. asked to list three heroes two of them were often athletes and the third one was often a rock star but that's something for us to talk about at another time so role, athletes have always been role models in american culture i would suggest whether you grew up in the 60s 70s 80s i had larry boa and baseball players on my walls growing up but 30, 40, 50 years ago, if you ask high school boys list heroes, they were more likely to also include a teacher, a minister, a rabbi, maybe even president of the United States. So the point is that sports and athletes have become more a central part of our culture. So what athletes do, what they say, the way they can contribute to the community is very different than even it used to be. And when you're a role model like that, Sometimes that can put the athlete in a situation where they can do something positive for the community. But social media being what it is, sometimes they do things that aren't so helpful for the young people watching them. So it's not easy to be an athlete these days, and it's not easy to be a role model. But yet our athletes, whether they like it or not, particularly our professional athletes, men and women, 
are becoming more role models for us. And that's a big responsibility. Sure. Whether they wanted to be or not, that's, as you say, when uh, uh, every little kid who plays football or basketball or figure skates or whatever the, the um, uh, activity is, they dream of playing in the NFL or making it to the Super Bowl. That's their goal. And if uh, the discipline and the grueling nature of preparing to, to make a team, let alone continue. And that's why we just had this great conversation with Connor Barwin. That's why he's exceptional as an athlete who's a role model with all the positive influence he's had. And he started his first year with the Eagles. It wasn't like he had been playing for a number of years. And, and then after he retired, he took on this, this project. It's a huge impact on the community and it speaks so highly of him. Um, and as you say, if you ask high school boys, they're going to say this athlete, that athlete. Um, and the platform is immense. And, and I think that, um, I guess even locally too, if people, not just kids, but older people, maybe in their twenties, even, you know, up to sixties, uh, teams, clubs, leagues that create that sense of community and belonging, people can share their common goals and interests. That's a great part of sports in the community, too. Well, the Connor Barwins are the exceptions to the rule, meaning that in psychology, we always say there's no relationship between having athletic talent and having the personality to be a leader. And oftentimes, it's, I think we put our pro athletes in an unfair situation. Many of them are 22, 23, 24 years old. Physically, they're big and strong, but emotionally, they're 22, 23, 24 years old. So why do we expect them to be able to be role models or leaders more so than other business people, other adults, even their parents? So oftentimes I think we put our athletes in an uncomfortable and an unfair position. Uh, the Connor Barwins of the world have a special talent, but they also have a special personality to be able to embrace the platform that they have and give back. I just was talking to a professional athlete just last week who said, I can do, this was about social media and the expectations of being a role model. He said, I could do 99 things right. If I do one thing, maybe not sign an autograph one out of a hundred times, it's on social media and the whole world knows about it. He said to me, like, how would you like to have to live under that kind of expectation? And in fairness to many of our pro athletes, um, we expect them to be perfect, especially in this age of social media. So when the Connor Barwins come along and actually are able to embrace it and follow through for years on certain activities, um, that's really, really to be commended. It's really to be commended. Well, I think whether it's a, a, a celebrity who's an athlete or a performer, a singer, somebody who's in the movies, it is so hard, as you say, because... America loves to build up a hero, and I'm saying this lovingly, and that we love to tear them down. We want to, but we mm. want to think, boy, if I just wear my hair like that, I'll sing like Taylor Swift. I mean, she and Travis, <laughs> all this um, news around them and the expectations. And what if they decide they don't want to date anymore? What if the, th does the world come crumbling down? It is because we're all looking for that perfect lifestyle or that perfect existence. And if the person hiccups and they miss the ball, <laughs> then what sells papers? The story that they fell from the 
the perch, right? So is that part of human nature that we love to build up a hero and then tear him down? I, I, uh. I think from a psychology perspective, we all have a need for heroes. Yes. And um, athletes are heroes right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it is human nature. We want to put our heroes on a pedestal, but we have mixed feelings about our heroes. Yes. So there, oftentimes we get some kind of satisfaction from knocking them off because they're more like us. They're not, they're I was just going to say, we can't achieve and, that. So how could they? It's all, it was cool to think about exactly, it, but they really can't exactly. do it. Yeah. And I remember Charles Barkley many years ago made a controversial statement where he said, you know, I'm not a role model. He was, this is when he was an athlete and now continues to be, you know, an announcer. And that got a lot of pushback, but in fairness to our athletes, um, we are oftentimes setting them up, especially in this world of social media, mm-hmm. which was a game changer for all of us, but for pro athletes too, yeah. for disappointing us because nobody's perfect. Exactly. And, and with everyone having a phone now, um, the bar has been raised even higher for what the expectations mm-hmm. are. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of respect for the Connor Barwins of the world who embrace being a community leader and role model and understand that um, they have an opportunity to express their gratitude and to give back um, and actually follow through on it. That That's incredibly yeah. unusual and impressive. And he does it so humbly. Um, you know, also, Joel, we talked about, I was just saying earlier that um, joining teams and um, leagues in the local community, we talk about children benefiting, but older people, it's a way to keep fit. And am I right? Study show it leads to better sleep quality, lowers the blood pressure. And of course, weight management is the big obsession and necessary obsession in our country. Weight, obesity equals inflammation, equals bumps and risk for cancer, heart disease, all these things. So if if people can become involved in sports locally, that's a really big positive too, yes? A hundred percent. Sport, fitness, recreation, and finding a way to integrate that into a healthy lifestyle is good for one's well-being. And there is a connection between the mind and the body. There's no question about that. So to find an activity to develop the habits to integrate sport, fitness, and recreation into a healthy lifestyle is something we're all trying to do and to sustain. On that note, let's take a little break. And when we come back, more about the value of sports in the community with Dr. Joel Fish. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're learning so much, as always, from Dr. Joel Fish, who is the Director of Sports Psychology in Philadelphia. Uh, Joel, we were talking about 
the value of sports in the community. How do we take the power of sports in the communities? What kind of power does this sports, be they young children, uh, tweens participating, or the value of binding us all together as brothers and sisters of the community of Eagles when they play against the Dallas Cowboys or when the Sixers or the Flyers face a big team? Well, the value of sport and the community's role in that is so vast. I've, I've had a chance to work for many years with park and rec associations in different parts of the country. And sure. I want to send a shout out to our park and recs department because their whole mission is to develop activities from youth sport to adulthood in order to engage people in sport, fitness, and recreation. And sometimes I'm not sure that they get the recognition they need because it's so hard to satisfy all the different needs that people have. But um, there are so many people in our communities who are trying to develop activities to engage. And when I say sport, fitness, and recreation, what I mean is the goal of each of us trying to find an activity that we can consistently be part of, sometimes individually, but even better is it part of a social group that is good for our mind and our body. So, so for example, a lot of times I think with our youth and even for ourselves, we think of some of the major established sports, football, baseball, uh, soccer, basketball, but there's so much research to, to say the value of walking and running and um, rock climbing and bicycle riding. And so for those of us that may not have a self-image of an athlete, um, there's so many different ways now that we can express the athletic part of ourselves. And I think the self-image we have of our athlete is really part of that. I was dealing with someone about a month ago who had to go through cardiac rehab as part of his cardiac situation, a gentleman in, in his 70s. And he said, you know what, I'm, I'm really not an athlete and I don't feel that comfortable wearing sweatpants. And, and we really had to revisit some of his early experiences where he didn't feel he was that skilled as an athlete because that self-image of himself as I'm not an athlete was really a block towards him trying to be creative and thinking about new ways that he could involve himself in sport and fitness and recreation as he needed to do as part of his cardiac rehab. So to me, it's really always interesting to try to get people to think about their self-image as athletes or their self-image and self-concept in sport, fitness, and recreation. It makes so they such can a, evolve that image and yeah. find ways, healthy ways to, to, to exercise and do good things for their mind and their body. Well, you make such a good point, Joel, because there are people who feel like they don't deserve to wear certain types of clothing. You're right that, hey, I'm not an athlete, so who am I kidding that I'm going to wear sweatpants or jogging? That's really yeah. amazing. And that's a barrier to getting out and walking and being more active. Well, I was thinking too, Parks and Rec, that if they're able to bring kids together who are bored, isn't that going to, isn't that one of the biggest factors in youth crime that I don't have something, you know, it's a form of entertainment. You don't want kids bonding because they're, you know, petty thieves or grabbing purses or helping to move drugs. Right. I mean, that's a big reason. Yeah, why whether it's in the city and you yep. look at pal, the police athletic leagues or in the suburbs or in the country, whatever range of living situations, someone may be listening to this. There is, 
absolute clear evidence that being part of after school activities for oh, children, sure. um, being part of a structured lifestyle for seniors is good for one's mental health. And it also decreases the chances that boredom, loneliness, um, it doesn't matter what I do anyway. These are all feelings or thoughts that can lead us to crossing the line and doing things or becoming involved in activities that are not good for us. Um, being involved in these kind of park and rec and after school activities are very, very important towards channeling our needs in a positive way. What else? If kids could go to a park, and I know some of the parks that Connor Barwin and Make the World Better have either rehabbed or start from an empty lot, they're also adding gardens and places where people can just come and socialize, depending on their, just sit there in the park, say, hey, how are you? Oh, your dog is cute or whatever, because that community engagement and interaction help bond the neighborhoods. They build stronger bonds in the neighborhoods, which lead to connection and acceptance. Hey, I thought that guy was kind of... And it leads you to... Yeah. It leads one to continue to exercise. Uh, you know, I, I, I saw a study recently that most people drop out of um, these lifelong fitness memberships after six months. And the number one reason is that they don't like doing it right. themselves. That if you have someone to do it with, you're significantly more likely to hang in there at the gym if you go to a park and rec program and it's a social activity, you're significantly more likely to show up again the next day than if you're doing some of these things on your own. It's good to develop habits, discipline to exercise, walk the dog, do other things alone, but we're more likely to sustain it over time if there's a social element to it. And that's an important role that our park and recreation and other um community venues play for us. Well, I think too, if you have a local team and you can be involved as a volunteer, maybe you're not playing or, but you can coach, look at all the people that get involved with special Olympics. How heartwarming is that? When you see the joy on the faces of um, special Olympics or Paralympics, that's beautiful. And if you've been an athlete earlier in your life and you get to be a coach of kids in a city program that are very needy, it's also a way to say, hey, you know what? Do you need a few dollars to buy your lunch? Do you need this or that, you know, other life-sustaining resource that's limited for them, uh, and a better jacket? It's also a way to help people and sports as a hook for kids, yes? Oh, in psychology, it's very clear that to participate in sport and fitness and recreation satisfies certain of our needs for purpose, for meaning, a positive way to channel our competitiveness, but coaching, creating opportunities for others also is really meaningful in terms of um, helping to sustain our own positive self-esteem, giving us a sense of purpose, mm -hmm. but also giving back to others is something that's so important, not only for the receiver of the kind act, but of the giffer. So if we can find a way in our park and community recreation programs in our neighborhoods or in our street streets to give back to others by being part of a sport, fitness, and recreation program, um, that's going to be satisfying for you and for the people whom you're affecting. Well said. Well, you know, the other quick thing I wanted to mention, because I wanted to um, talk about another really important topic that you discussed when we were chatting the other day, but I love, or I miss, I think we all do to a degree, 
shared experiences because it's great to be able to say, well, you can watch this uh, um, online TV show or even this radio show on demand. If you don't have time to listen on Saturday at 5 p.m., you can listen anytime and your convenience. But there's something really cool about knowing that how many hundreds of millions watch the Super Bowl at the same time? None of us know who's going to win. You, you know, uh, everybody's rooftops are are <laughs> jumping because of the yelling and cheering and happy and being together in the suspense. And everybody celebrates in a different way. But there's there's we're missing that shared experience. And as you said, nothing pulls us together. I bet if somebody landed on the moon this evening. We probably wouldn't get a hundred million people watching. Maybe we would. Maybe Mars. Maybe Mars. I don't know. But don't you think that shared experience is something that we miss without even realizing it? I think everything's a package deal. So there's some tremendous advantages to technology and streaming and all those ways we have to watch content, as they would say. But there's no question that that's come at a cost of some communal feeling, and that when there was three channels on TV and everybody was watching the nightly news at six o'clock where the vast majority of the people in our culture were doing that, it did foster a sense of community. It fostered, we're all in this together. And now that you've got the content right. and the way people view things so compartmentalized, um, the advantages of a convenience, but the disadvantages is we're not all in it together the way we used to be. And that you have 125 million people watching the Super Bowl couple of weeks ago between San Francisco and Kansas City is so rare these days that in live time, yes. people are watching the same event uh, at the same time and can react the same way and have a shared experience. It's not an accident yeah. that the Super Bowl has been the most viewed uh, programming, I think, 10 out of the last 12 years, because not only is it good entertainment, but there's some bonding experience, I think, that brings people to want to do that. And there's a, we've lost something by the fact that it's more rare for us to have those moments where we're all watching together than there used to be. Right. And, and I was saying to you, too, that um, I read an article that said the Conference Board of Canada uh, reports that sports develop skills that individuals can use to become more productive at work. For all the things we discussed, the whole idea at the workplace should be like family. I mean, you don't have to hug and kiss when they see each other in the morning, but but respect and listening and being productive with our feedback, but also, you know, on Friday you can wear your team shirt or, or yeah. you know, or pictures of your dog dressed up. But because it builds that that social cohesion and social capital, if you want to call it that. Um, so let's talk about too, Joel, if you don't mind, youth sports. The culture has changed. The emphasis used to be participating, get to the to your best level. You don't want to be the best boy or girl on the team and participating, but winning has become all consuming, right? Let's go back to Vince Lombardi, right? Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing that's not always helpful. There used to be in our culture, and I don't think it's nostalgic in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, a better balance. It didn't matter whether you won or lost. It was how you played the game. Whether Lombardi really said yeah. that in the late 60s, early 70s, our culture now is really driven by winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And what tends to happen is that youth sport models what goes on in professional sports. And because professional sports, with ESPN pumping out 24 hours, seven days a week, 
winning is everything, winning is everything, winning is everything. That's trickled down now to college, high school, even youth sports. And the problem with that is that you've got 30% of boys and girls who play sport between the ages of 10 and 14 dropping out. And the number one reason overwhelmingly boys and girls 10 to 14 drop out, it's not fun. And the number one reason it's not fun is there's too much pressure to win. And so that balance of effort, participation, skill development, and winning is what we've lost sight of. And I think, I hope, and I think we're seeing some beginning signs of it, that the pendulum's swinging a little bit back towards a balance in youth sports, because there's a lot of people that realize the system now that we're going through is not helpful. And a lot of kids are not only burned out by sport, but they're dropping out. And then they're less likely if they drop out to include it as part of their lifestyle as they get older, which to me is one of the benefits of youth sport. Well, and I think there is, as you say, balance right in the middle because too much pressure or, hey, if you really want to be good at soccer or you really want to be good at field hockey, you have to play through the summer. That's your only sport through the year. There are coaches who drive that thought into kids. My son was a super uh, oarsman, but he also played uh, ice hockey. And the coach said, oh, I don't think so. And, you know, it happened. We made a, He played in college both sports as well. But um, – the other, on the other hand, for a while, the culture said everybody gets a trophy. So, you know, you don't want it to be in either extreme. There is still a meritocracy. The fastest swimmer should be in the, the butterfly race on Saturday, uh, you know, whatever. Um, because I remember in a psychiatry class and in medical school, a movie began and it was blurry. And when it came into focus, it was somebody strumming at the guitar. If the strings are too tight, they pop. But if they're not tight enough, there's no music. Dead center. Mm. And we can't always be dead center, but you talk about this balance so well, and people have to remember that. Let's take a little break, and when we come back, a wrap-up with Dr. Joel Fish. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com, info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer, get screened. Welcome back to your radio doctor in our final segment, which we call Your Weekly Prescription with Dr. Joel Fish. Joel, we've learned so much from you as we have before. Uh, we're talking about the attitude of parents and children themselves. You know, a child gets a concussion, they got to get them out. A, 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 even if they haven't had a concussion, if a, if a boy or girl of any age, young man or woman, hits their head out of the game because winning is not everything. And I used to think as I watched my own children 
when they were four and five, we put them in the little toddler uh, township soccer. And you'd hear a dad on the sideline say, steamroller them. Okay, do you really think if uh, your little Johnny or Billy makes a uh, goal that they're going to get a scholarship to college? I used to think it was about scholarships to college. I don't think it's just that anymore. You say it's the idea of winning, the the status of winning. What do you think about that? I think that sport and youth sports still remains a wonderful way to teach life skills. And it's not the only arena, but it's a great arena starting five, six, seven to teach about persevering, things you said before, setting goals, can't always get what you want. Having said that, just because you throw a uniform on or you involve a child in an activity doesn't mean he's going to be guaranteed or she to get these good life experiences. And parents still remain the most important influence on the attitudes that their children develop about winning, losing, success, failure, competition. You and I, we can't control what's on TV. We can't control social media. We can't even control what a coach says to a young man or woman or boy or girl. But we as parents can, through our actions and our behaviors, reinforce effort, participation, skill development, let our children know that we're going to be supportive of them whether they hit the ball or not. Johnny, good effort. Next time, keep your eye on the ball. Keep at it. You'll get it. That balance of communication we know increases the chances your child's going to stay in there and keep trying. And when they keep trying and involve getting a little more skill and enjoy it, they're more likely to keep doing it throughout their life. Let me be clear, though. The part of those skills is that you can't always be getting what you want. Kids need discipline. They need accountability. I don't believe every game should end in a tie. I don't believe everybody should get a trophy all the time. But that balance, effort, participation, skill development is what we know gives each child the best chance to get the most out of sport and minimizes a lot of the hurtful things that can happen in sport. And as you say, Joel, it's learning persistence and to be your best self, whether it's on a playing field or in school. Not everybody's meant to be a leader. Not everybody's meant to be team captain. And that effort that that you're asking your child to put forward or yourself makes a bit it helps build their confidence so that they have a better self-image and learn to be a good loser. I mean, yeah, a good loser and a humble winner. And, and to find a, a sport and fitness activity that's a good fit for their personality. Not every sport matches our personalities. So let's, as parents and as adults, continue to try to explore different options so that we find something that fits our temperament, our personality, our skill level, and that we enjoy. And if you like a sport, that doesn't... We're likely to keep doing it, which yeah, is what we want. If you love a sport, it doesn't mean you have to kind of force your child to like the sport. Let him or her pick their own uh, path. So I would like to invite all of our listeners to hop onto Amazon and purchase your fantastic book called 101 Ways to Be a Terrific Sports Parent. Can people buy it in stores as well, Joel? They still can, I'm happy to say. We're online. 101 Ways to Be a Terrific Sports Parent. A very special thank you to Dr. Joel Fish. What a pleasure. I always learn so much from listening to you. And... Thank you once again. Thanks for including Marianne. It's a pleasure for me too, to listen of to course. you. and to, You always ask me good questions, so I appreciate that. Thanks, Joel. The director of the Center for Sports Psychology in Philadelphia, Dr. Joel Fish. 
Thank you for listening to Your Radio Doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen again to any of our shows on odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Thanks to our exclusive sponsor, Independent Blue Cross. And now for a word from Helio.com, the medical media company and information platform that offers the latest in healthcare news and information. Today, we discuss the value of sports in communities, and former Eagle Connor Barwin wants to make the world better by building parks that offer safe spaces for sports, recreation, and socializing that help communities prosper. Visit Helio.com to read this article. Team sports improve the mental health of kids exposed to adversity. That's from May of 2019. Now, to celebrate Season 5, we're starting a new project called Diapers for Darlings. Join our campaign to help needy mothers and donate disposable diapers. A bag of diapers is affordable for most of us, but a major struggle for a woman who's tried to make ends meet, who might need several bags each month. Visit the website yougivegoods.com. Scroll down to Find an Event and then search for Diapers for Darlings. Again, website you give goods, Y-O-U-G-I-V-E-G-O-O-D-S. YouGiveGoods.com. Find an event and search for diapers for darlings. We're collecting from now through the end of May. The diapers are delivered to Catholic Social Services and know that those who receive the diapers are people of all faiths. What they share is the need for our help. And remember, March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, so get your blue lights ready. Put a strand of blue lights on the front of your home or business, a blue bulb in your porch light. Help remind everyone to get screened for colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death, but it's preventable. Look to the sky all through Philly. This is year number 10, and we've gotten all the major buildings in blue. And please continue to pray for peace in our world, our country, our families, and each of our own hearts. This is your radio doctor. Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded. At Independence Blue Cross, we take care of the people who take care of you. Everyday heroes like firefighters, teachers, farmers, and healthcare workers. Doctors and hospitals across the region have IBX, and they know what it means to have reliable access to care. So whether you're saving lives or just trying to live a healthier life, count on IBX, the region's number one health insurer for 85 years. Learn more at IBX.com.